There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. When you think about running through the tea at Nayland Stadium for the first time this Saturday, does that give you a little bit of chicken skin? A little bit of what? A chicken skin, you know. You know what I'm making reference to when I say chicken skin? You're a southern boy. I ain't got no idea. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Pat is not typing during the intro time. Brian also not typing during the intro time. Tennessee, Florida week time. The first podcast of this week was a basketball podcast time. Yikes. Hey, when you're getting five stars, that's when podcasts are required. I agree with that time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Ryan Callahan, Patrick Brown, coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Thursday afternoon. Going to drop this either on a Thursday night or a Friday morning, and as always... I'd like to tell you all that I I really love this Thursday evening, Friday morning. How are the two of you doing on this Thursday evening or Friday morning? Uh, it's Thursday evening. I'm still doing pretty well. Friday morning, maybe maybe not as much. Thursday night's pretty rough for you? That's just a guess. I don't know. Patrick's not even listening. Nope. I have no idea what y'all just said. This is he, rude. he wasn't typing, but he also wasn't paying attention. What I was asking, Patrick, yes. is... How is your Thursday evening or Friday morning going? Mine's going pretty good. Going pretty good. Pretty excited about it. You know what uh, happened yesterday I, when I'm, we did this? I, I'm excited not to have to cover a, a UTEP game this week. Yes. No offense to the Miners. What happened was who we... Are, who are very, very bad at football. They are very bad at football. Sorry, Chico. I saw all those people in the press box, and, and I would say fans in the stands, but that's not even true. That's one of the strangest games I've seen because they didn't travel anybody. But the people who travel with that team, can you imagine? Fl- fly from El Paso to Knoxville. Watch that team. They should have gotten their faces kicked in, and Tennessee beat them 24 nothing, and it was still miserable to watch. And then they have to fly all the way back. Yeah, that, was, that was a misleading score, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, it was. That, that does, the, score, the score does not demonstrate how much Tennessee was – Dominant. Well, they weren't dominant, but they were. I mean, four hundred, almost four hundred yards better than UTEP. But but the, the gist of it is, I was just saying, uh, I'm really glad I don't have to travel places and watch that football team, much less see them, or, or much less do that. But I'm really glad I don't have to see them again this week. Yeah, when we did the basketball podcast this week was since uh, Ramey and I got into the studio and did did something on Josiah James committing to Tennessee, the big five star basketball prospect. If you are wondering where's that podcast? Go back and listen to the one before this one. That's where we discussed that. But my the the bottom line is, I, I told you know, Ramy, I was like, hey, how's your Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening, or Thursday morning going? And he was like, yeah, it's going pretty well, I think. Um, you know, how, how's yours going? And I said, I, I don't really love Wednesday nights. I'll be honest with you. They're other than Saturdays, probably the latest night of the week for me. Um, but I don't have two kids, so it's okay. And Ramey said, neither do I. I sold mine on the black market. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's a very Ramey thing to say. That was, though, if you're going back and listening to yesterday and you think, wait, is that Grant Ramey's voice? He actually came out of seclusion and spoke on a podcast. He does exist. Uh, and I gave him a hard time about the uh, his anxiety over the Braves. For some reason, he f- thinks like the Braves are going to somehow blow this NL East yeah. lead, which is... About the most ridiculous well, thing. Well, they are playing the Phillies four times this week, so it could he, change in a hurry. He's He's got, um, he, you know, some some fans on our board like to call it battered vol syndrome. He's got battered brave syndrome. And battered bear syndrome and battered yeah. palace syndrome and, and all of those things. He needs to pick a team in a sport. Like, I've said this before. Just to go pick a random sport in a team that's just dominant. 
Like, I'm going to go be a fan of New Zealand rugby. Because I'm pretty much always going to be awesome. And we do have a, a friend of ours on the beat who is a New Zealand native, Mike Wilson from the Knoxville News Sentinel. By the way, shout out, I believe this. If we drop this on our Friday, it'll be his 30th birthday party. We are uh, going on a brewery tour, so... Thankfully, the Florida game isn't isn't a nooner. I, I don't pretty think excited I, about that being a night game. I don't think I knew he was from New Zealand. Yeah, lived lived the first few years of his life there. I don't. I actually think, believe it or not, he is not an he, American citizen. He told me he was born in uh, Grand Rapids. Uh, no, he was not. He moved to Michigan when he was like three or four. Imagine going from New Zealand to Michigan. That you're you're doing that wrong. I think you're doing that. That's like be, uh, Benjamin Button or something. You're you're doing that the wrong <laughs> way. You need to be going to. New Zealand. But anyways, happy birthday, Mike. We're going to have a good time on that uh, brewery tour, and thankfully this game's not a nooner. Speaking of this game, guys, it is Tennessee-Florida week for, I don't know, the better part of two decades. This was a game that every college football fan, when you got the schedule, you'd go, you'd go circle it, you know? You're like, where, you're like where's, uh, ten, where's Tennessee-Florida? Where's, like, uh, you know, like Oklahoma-Nebraska? Where You know, there would just be things that you would circle – and uh, or you know, or Texas, Oklahoma, and or or you'd be talking about this game for like the entire off season if you were Tennessee and Florida fans because usually you played nobody at open season. Yeah. So I mean, Tennessee played Syracuse that one year. I think they maybe had a couple games like UCLA. Mm-hmm. UC- but I mean, the Florida game was always like the game of September. I'll say it's the game. It was the game to decide the SEC East for so many years because you couldn't afford one loss head to head. That head to head tiebreaker would just decide the division. So I mean. It, Obviously, that was back in the rivalry's heyday, but even as recently as you know, a couple of years ago, this this game mattered a lot in the division race. And now, I don't believe in kicking people while they're down, but let's just call this what it is. On the national level, this is not what it was, and not what it probably will be again at some point. I don't know when exactly, but at some point again, this will become a big deal because uh, look at it historically. Tennessee almost always over the course of a long, long history of football has been pretty good. And Florida, ever since it kind of renovated the program and kicked it forward a little bit, it, it's been consistently pretty good. So you know that at some point this is going to be a great rivalry again. Here's what's fascinating, though. Some of the very best games in this series have come when you know see, wasn't, what, what, when there wasn't a great team among them. See, but that's the – I think that's where you and I differ on the definition of best. Exciting, yes. Like last year's no, game. That's fair. That's fair. Last year's game was exciting, but it was a bad football game. That's and I don't. True. I think everybody watching that game. I mean, it was what six three going into the third, going into the fourth quarter. I think everybody watching that game was like, these are not. They were both ranked at the time. It was like these are not top twenty five teams. That I game mean, was a yeah. That game was about to go to overtime as like a nobody can win. Yeah, tie. it was like. I mean, it was one of those weird games where, from Tennessee's standpoint, it was like they were the better team. But they also somehow didn't really deserve to win because they made so many mistakes and just did so many dumb stuff and squandered so many opportunities. It was like, you know what? This is their fault that it ended this way. You know, you you couldn't you you couldn't after that final play you couldn't be like, you know what? They didn't deserve that. What? It's like because I mean they they blew the game long before that. But you know the the four, the twenty fourteen game was was quote unquote exciting. It's not two great teams though. I mean. Yeah, to me, to it's me, still the, fun to be there. To me, the still, best still games exciting. of this series were back in the '90s and early 2000s when you had loads of NFL players on both sides. So you did, but you also, but you also was, had a, you also had a lot of one-way traffic in some of those games too. So that, yeah, I mean, not everybody remembers the, the '98 finish. I think the 2001 game might have been an even better game because I mean, you had Tennessee as a 17-point underdog in that game, despite yeah, I, being I, that good. I, for some reason, a lot of people, I, I think. Almost forget that how close Florida came back yeah. to two point, two point conversion, conversion away from, from from sending that thing to overtime in yeah. the swamp. I mean, that's you talk about it, overtime in the swamp is not a place you want to be, and it's remembered for all the Travis Stevens runs and all those other. But you forget like how close that was to going back the other way. That was a a great game. That was a classic with so much on the line. Uh, and again, that makes you wonder. Gosh, would it be nice if they could play this game later in the season for that very reason? But you know, some rivalries just have a different flavor to them, and this the flavor to this one is it's early in the season. And it's usually, for years, it had been a benchmark for both for where these teams were, for what the East was going to be. Now, I think we all know that Georgia is running away with the SEC East, at like, least for now. like Usain Bolt, at least for this season, and, and I think maybe next season as well. But 
that's where things are right now. But this game right here, this game is so, so important for the Tennessee and Florida programs. I don't think it it doesn't mean much on the national scale. But to both of these teams right now, I don't want to say this is a can't, you know, it's like a can't lose situation for either one because, you know, either first-year coach, you're going to get some time to build something. But if you don't go to a bowl game in your first year, then that it's it's tough. It, it, it puts you behind the eight ball. It puts doubts in a lot of fans' minds. Yep. Whether that's fair or not, that's what happens. And the loser of this game might struggle to to – to get to a ball game, it might be that it, it, I mean, it, that that's a possibility, it, it, especially in Tennessee's case. If Tennessee does not win this one, I'm saying point blank period. Yeah. I don't see a path to this team. I, I don't feel comfortable saying this team gets to six because you got to win your last four in a row. Obviously you'd win Charlotte, but then you'd have to go, you know, Missouri, you Ducky, ups- Vanderbilt, or, or you got to upset South Carolina or someone, something like that. It just, the, the calculus gets tough when you, yeah. when you, when you look at it that way, but the momentum that either one of these teams can get from winning this game, it, it may not mean a lot to the national scene, but I think it means quite a bit to both of these programs right now. It does, yeah. I, and you you can split hairs over whether in recruiting, in, in the perception of a program, that whether it really makes a big difference, whether you go five and seven or six and six. You know, a lot of people tell you that's not that's not really going to be a massive setback if that happens, but... I think it's a big deal. I mean, we've talked before about, you know, in year two under Butch Jones, how important it was, or even year one when they when they missed a bowl game, how important it would have been for them to have those extra practices leading up to a bowl game. Um, and, and, and not just that, and the actual development you get from that, but the perception that you're headed in the right direction can really make a difference in recruiting especially. So to take it from four and eight to six and six in, in year one, you know, I think that's something Jeremy Pruitt and his staff can point to as tangible progress something they can really sell if you lose this game suddenly five and seven might might look like your most realistic ceiling i mean yeah that that's the that's the reality of this if you lose to florida which let's face it has not looked very good this year no this this team might not win an sec game i mean you have to look at that as being a possibility and that's you also can have more doubt creep into the team's minds. I, I think this game is going to set Tennessee's trajectory for the rest of the season. If you win this, you're in the discussion for a bowl game, and you've got some upward momentum at least. Even yeah. if you're not going to be an eight-win team this year, you've got some upward momentum, and, and you look like you're on the right track, and you can sell that as being on the right track. If you don't win this game, all you can really say is this team's just really not that good talent-wise, and we've got to hope we can steal an SEC game. That becomes the discussion, whether they're going to go 0-8 in the SEC. Yeah, going to have to have a game where the other team doesn't play that great and you force a bunch of turnovers, you make a special teams touchdown. You're going to have to, you know, kind of do something like that to to win one of those those games. What, you know, what what I – my kind of thinking on this is that it's – first of all, it's a long way till November. Kentucky and Vanderbilt have looked pretty good so far, but let's see what they're looking at after they've played the meet of their SEC. And and depth often makes those teams less good as the season progresses. Yeah, and we're about to find out, too, how good Missouri is. They played George on Saturday, and uh, they were in a tight game with Purdue, who's an average Big Ten team. Mm -hmm. So um, That had a terrible start to the season. Now, much like West Virginia, Missouri is not a good matchup for Tennessee, but who's to say that the secondary isn't playing better by then? Who's to say that, you know, and they played bad the last two weeks? At that point of the season, Bryce Thompson, Lante Taylor, Trayvon Flowers, and those guys are going to be pretty much sophomores. They do have one of the better defensive backs coaches in all football as their head coach. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, and and Pruitt said it Wednesday on the SEC teleconference about this defense is he was kind of, he kind of, he got two questions about the defense. You can kind of tell he was like in wait and see mode about how good this group really is because. You look at the run defense that they've been bad the last season and a half, but they really haven't been tested so far. West Virginia is not a running team. They're a, they, they run it just because they kind of have to keep some semblance of balance, and then the other two teams are just bad. So we don't know how good this run defense is. We don't know how much improved the secondary is from the first week. They're not going to play – well, I say that. I mean, there's some pretty good passing games coming up, but Florida's not one of them. So – uh, but that said, can they cover these Florida receivers? Because Florida receivers are probably the strength of this offense. So we're, yeah. we're about to find out more. But Prue did say that he thinks this defense will get better, and, and you would expect that as they get comfortable in the scheme and as some of these younger guys grow up. Yeah, and Pruitt said it this week, and, and I believe this is 100% accurate. 
Felipe Franks has one of the stronger arms you'll see as a we all saw that from a quarterback year. at any level. I mean, just just in, if the game were basically like a discus throwing competition or like a shot put throwing competition, it was he, like a he might win the thing. If it was like an arm punt, long drive kind of deal. Yeah, punt pass kick type deal. Uh, if he, he was at Top Golf and trying to throw footballs into the <laughs> into the targets, he would he'd be aiming for the white one. Yeah, Franks is more or less. So that's all my Top Golf fans. Y- yeah, mm-hmm. he's. Basically, for those who don't know, Felipe Franks is kind of like Ramey at a Top Golf. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a lot of times we go, oh, let's hit a few irons first and we'll we'll play one of the we'll other games up, and yeah. warm up a little bit. Ramey gets up, no stretching, no anything, goes right to the driver the and big just starts one of the most violent-looking golf swings I've ever seen. And that is sort of what I think when I watch Felipe Franks throw a football. Now, he does have a quarterback whisperer of a head coach, who has been able to identify talent, evaluate talent, and sort of manage and nurture talent at the quarterback position as well as just about anybody has in in the past decade or so in college football. Let's also call that what it is. But you just look at Florida, and here's why, to me, I have such a hard time picking this game. And as of the time that we're recording this podcast, I still haven't 100% made up my mind, which is really unusual Normally, going into the week, I'm like, nah, I got a pretty good idea. And then a couple things might change it by a few points here or there during the week. But then, you know, by the time Wednesday rolls around, you feel pretty good about it and you just know what you're going to pick. Right now, we're we're recording this candidly on a Thursday afternoon. I'm not 100% sure because... I know who I'm picking. Well, we'll get to that. But Sorry. No, 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 go ahead. No, 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 you, I cut you off. If go you ahead. want to go ahead. You don't know who you're picking. Why? Is this going to turn to the Andy and Dwight? Why? No, no, I'll, I'll do this for you. No, no, now you owe me one. That episode was on the other day. Um, Brian, that's, that's The Office. I don't know if you've seen that show. <laughs> and, okay. You haven't, have you? I have not watched it all the way through. Okay. I've watched like a couple episodes. So many things make so much more sense now. Well, if, so you don't know who you're picking, do you? If... There have been times in the past several years where Florida has not been great on offense. We've seen Florida be average on offense on and off for several years now. The difference is those Florida teams, by and large, had outstanding defenses. Defenses that could keep you in games and occasionally win you football games. Defenses that had a lot of NFL players. A ton. And just a lot of talent, a lot of speed, a lot of swagger, a lot of attitude. You know, it just there was a lot to like about those defenses. This Florida defense is average at best. This is not a classic Florida defense by any stretch of the imagination. Now, if the middle linebacker, uh, if he's able to come back, if, if I think if David Reese is able to come back, then that will help them give him a little more thump. He's a really good middle linebacker. He's a really good run defender. <laughs> yes, um, he is. And did you know that Florida actually has two linebackers named David Reese? Yeah, that they're, that's just going to – they're going to have to go by one and two <laughs> we, or thing one and thing we two. Have to, or, we have to tag players in our stories in our system, and I could not imagine having to pick between which David Reese to tag. Well, we have to do that. go by the middle initial? We have to do that with Brandon Johnson because there used to be a Tennessee safety named Brandon Johnson And he's still ago. in our archives, yeah. Yeah. But so so that's where I am I'm with this. About current players, though. That's true. I, I'm confused – about this matchup because I don't think Tennessee's offense is very good. Uh, I think Tennessee's struggling a lot up front, particularly on the right side of the line of scrimmage. And normally a Florida defense would come into this kind of game and be like, oh, we're going to beat the hell out of them up front and confuse them and we're just going to force turnovers. They're not going to get more than 200, 250 yards in this game. But now – I don't think this Florida defense is is good either, and it's got some holes in the secondary. It's got some talented guys, but they're young. Um, had a big injury there in the secondary that's hurt them a little bit. They're they're not great defensively either. So when you break that down, you go, Ugh, "Where's the advantage there?" Well, I, I think when you look at this game, and I was doing this the other night when I was going through. Uh, weekly matchup piece, which returned. Sorry, ETSU and UTEP, I didn't do one for you guys. Um, it, it's a lot of weakness on weakness in this game. Like, yeah. It, Florida's defense gave up 303 rushing yards to Kentucky. And you're, if you're Tennessee, you're thinking, we ought to be able to run the ball. But is anybody trusting this Tennessee offensive line right now? I mean, I, 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 
I kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt because I think you know they're they're capable of getting it done. They've shown that they've had good moments, but they've also had really bad moments. So their, their tackles have got to play uh, better. Their tackles have got to play better too because Florida's best defensive players in the front seven, at least, might be the two defensive ends, uh, Polite and Zuniga. Uh, yeah. Those two guys are pretty good players. And Jefferson's and then, pretty tough. CC Jefferson's pretty and, tough. And too. then you you flip I'll it fall. around, and um, you know, in 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 the matchup piece where it's when Florida passes, it's like, did y'all see Tennessee's passing defense against West Virginia? Yeah. But on the flip side, it's like, have you seen Felipe Franks play football? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's well, like, I mean, it's Tennessee's weakness on weakness. And I think the only quote unquote strength on strength matchup here might be the special teams. Yeah, that's because fair. I mean, it's just you know and. and Florida's got a, you know, Florida could have a pretty good run game. Their offensive line's not very good, but are you, are we still buying Tennessee's defense being better than run defense being better? I don't know. We don't know yet. It's like, you know, Pat, you said earlier this week that the uh, that that great, always funny picture of the two Spider Men pointing at each other. Yes. That you know, that's like the, that's the theme of this that's game. kind of the theme of this game in, in that. I mean. <laughs> It, it it sounds rude to say this, and I don't. I really don't want it to sound that way. But when I keep breaking down these matchups in my head, I keep thinking, oh, "Someone's got to win this one," they, and, and that that's that's the tough part. These these two teams both won four games last season, so I don't I don't know why people thought Florida would be massively improved. Um, because the name's Florida, and Dan Mullen's the coach. I guess they presume, hey, Dan Mullen's done a lot. With a little with at Mississippi lo- State. And maybe with less is what people were thinking. And he's really good with quarterbacks, so he'll get Franks, right? That's what people just assumed. Mm-hmm. And people just assumed Tennessee would be bad because they were bad last year and they had no basis on, on what to base how good Jeremy Pruitt would be because he's a first-time head coach. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of similarities. The quarterback situations going into the season were iffy. I think Garantano sort of eased those concerns for Tennessee. Offensive lines are still question marks on both sides. Um, those two positions that both programs needed – overhauls and you can't do that in a year well and and tennessee's tried to because going into the season they had two newcomers on their starting uh offensive line i guess now they still they still do have two uh and and jameer johnson and jim carvin but you you in the trenches is where these programs need maybe the biggest upgrades under these new staffs and that's that can't happen overnight that's not going to be an overnight fix so um and, and i think when you look at florida's talent deficiencies talking to some of their guys that cover the team and Wes, you did a good job with your Better Know Foe. Again, it's a great read. Thank you. If you haven't read it, you should go. You should go read it. Um, but it seems like a lot of Florida's issues, particularly on the defense, stems from poor recruiting. Where I think Tennessee's issues on defense, a lot of ca- in a lot of cases, are player development slash some of their highly rated players have been injured. Yeah, what, what I look at, and and I think it it was natural for a lot of people to think, hey. Um, you know, it, it maybe maybe Dan Mullen did do more with less over there at Mississippi State. But you look at the way that team's playing now, even without him there. Now, again, he signed those guys and developed them and recruited them and all, yada, yada, yada. That's 100% true. But you look at how he's – what he's dealing with with this Florida team now, well, I think – pretty clearly Mississippi State does have better football players right now. So I don't – I mean, Mullen built I mean, that, so kudos to him. But, I mean, the thought that he would just go in and kind of sprinkle some of that pixie dust on this thing and make Florida Florida again in one year, I I, I, I never thought that would happen. Well, you're seeing that with a lot of these new coaches is that a lot of them are doing pretty bad. A lot yeah. of them have, have – you know, you're not – I mean – took over messes. You, you, you think that, you know, people assume Chip Kelly is a great coach. He's he's a good football coach, and people assumed he could get UCLA going in the right direction. Arrow and three in Fresno State beat the crap out of him last week. I mean, yeah, they did. There's a reason all these programs have new coaches, and the one first year coach that's doing well is Joe Moorhead, and that's because Dan Mullen left him uh, probably one of the five or six best dual threat quarterbacks in the history of the SEC. When you're looking at Nick Fitzgerald, I mean, he's up there with Dobbs and Dak and Tebow and some of those guys that can you know with all the passing and rushing touchdowns and all that, and then. Um, you know, he left them two NFL guys on the defensive line. I'm sure Bob Shoup is enjoying having Montez Sweat and Jeffrey Simmons and a couple of those guys uh, controlling things up front for that defense. So um, that's – yeah, I mean, Florida and Tennessee have new coaches this year because they were really bad football teams last year. Yeah, and, and it's not, you know, three games or four games into this season, It you know, how different it was it going to be from last year. And I think this is an important game for both teams because if you're Tennessee, this is, this is probably your best chance at a win before – November, if yeah. we're being honest. And if you're Florida, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of excitement about Dan Mullen because obviously he has some history there from 
uh, the Tebow Urban Meyer years, but if his first two SEC games are that first loss to Kentucky in 31 years and then a loss to Tennessee, that a team that Florida's pretty much, I don't want to say owned, but Florida's won a lot more games than they lost in this series, that's that's a rough start for him. That's not something he can't overcome. And, and if and if Tennessee loses, this isn't like a referendum that Jeremy Pruitt's not going to be able to get done. Yeah. Um, but I think for this season, this is a huge game, maybe more than it's a huge game for the long-term future of these two programs. Yeah, I think it's important to note that, that Dan Mullen, or, 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 or we'll say that Joe Moorhead took over a situation. And he's where, a good coach, too. Let's yeah, not, yeah. Let's not oh, discredit yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Joe Moorhead took over a situation where his predecessor took a better job somewhere else. These other guys have come in because the coaches got fired. Coaches got fired. I mean, Nebraska, too. Yeah, Nebraska. them in there. Yeah, Willie Taggart in Florida State. Those guys, you go around the country and you just see all of these where you go, ugh. And these are guys that have been successful elsewhere. I mean, Nebraska. Yeah. Nebraska's not been very good at all, and that that is. And I think it helps Tennessee fans to to step outside of of this rather. You know, it's Knoxville's a, a big town that can feel like a little town. You know, you, you can really be kind of in a vacuum here. You can you can self contain and you can not see things. You can live in a bubble here if you choose to, and I. I think you have to look at what is going on nationally with trends to understand better why things are the way they are. And if you look at the way these other first-year head coaches and what they're having to go through, I'm not going to say it should make you feel better, but it should make you understand what what the deal is here. Yeah, it, I mean, it, these other programs, there is parity in college football now. I don't care what the name on that helmet says. If, if there's guys who have been in a program for, for several years, have been able to build it their way, look at Vandy and Kentucky right now. Are those better jobs than any of those other jobs that we've mentioned? Hell no, they're not. Are they better teams right now than any of those teams? Probably. That That's the difference. Sometimes it just it takes a couple years. No one likes to hear that, but that's where these two are, and that's why it might not be, you know, what you would call tactically a great win for either one of these teams to win this game. But in terms of symbolism and, and the importance of where things, you know, the importance the, the of going forward, the, the narrative, narrative. There yes. you go. The narrative. They can take control of the narrative if they win this game, and that helps a lot with your culture, with your fan base, you know, and maybe even with your players walking around the complex. And, and this is, I think, a bigger game for Tennessee from that standpoint because Tennessee's mm-hmm. not beaten Florida a lot. I think Tennessee fans, it doesn't matter how good or bad Florida is, this is a game that Tennessee fans crave to win. I mean, this team, this team, this orange and blue team that's coming in here on Saturday night, the water lizards as as <laughs> as a, a – Gilly a, from Chattanooga. As a Vol, as a vol Calls caller uh, pointed out the other night. They've, they've been the source of a lot of torment for Tennessee fans over the last 20 years, 25 years even. And so any time that the, that the Vols have a chance to beat Florida, this fan base is going to be uh, ravenous for that. So I think that's going to help for the atmosphere. But I also think with that comes, you know, is there maybe more pressure on Tennessee? I don't know. I, I, I was going to say that I could see where this game, not this one game necessarily, but this gives you an early upper hand on the other program. But you're trying to – and we talked about already, Georgia is basically threatening to run away with the SEC East for the next few years. Threatening? I think they've already I mean, shown. I mean, everybody's playing catch-up, and they, oh, everyone I, else is way behind. Yes, I, I would agree. I mean, it's what it looks like. But I'm just saying, let's let's see if it plays out that way this season. But that's what it looks like. If that's the case, Tennessee, Florida, and Georgia probably can't all be at the same level. They're not going to be anytime soon. But you want to be that team that's next in line challenging Georgia. Hmm. And... This game could set the set the tempo for which one of these teams is going to get back up off the map first and have the the next chance to to challenge Georgia in the future, whether that's four years from now or however long. It's it's about putting yourself in the best position to get back there in a couple of years. See, I think I think the the point that was just made about this game maybe being more important for Tennessee for the narrative. I, I do think there there is truth to that. The one thing that makes me question that is think about this. If you're Dan Mullen and you become the head coach of Florida and your first two SEC games are a home loss to Kentucky that that's snaps like a 32-year streak, and then you lose to Tennessee, ugh, yeah. that's a lot. 
you you want to talk about some some games with like 50 55k 60k in the swamp that'll do that in a hurry oh yeah and and, and that is that is tough but i you know i don't want this to be a downer because here's the way i look at this if you want to look at this from the optimistic standpoint both tennessee and florida this weekend have a chance to get the best looking win of their season maybe i think they have i think well you see if you're if you're florida florida state's also not very good so so that you know that, well, I mean, that that may give you more bragging rights in your state but i'm saying this gives you a chance you know this is if you're a, a Florida or a Tennessee fan, you know you can at least be like, "Hey, we beat that team," you know, and that that's a that's a decent team. I, I well, I, that's why I say I don't know. At the end of the season, we might look back at the loser of this game as a four win team again, and the winner and the winner of this game might be good enough to knock off a Kentucky or Vanderbilt or South Carolina. Or no, Missouri. But I'm talking about the biggest name, like the I, biggest I, the biggest yeah. the biggest bragging rights name that you the big the biggest brand name you can beat on your schedule. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I yeah, that's fair. I just You're taking the one line of optimism that I had for this entire podcast now. No, no and you're soiling it. No, no, this the, for Tennessee, you don't need I mean, the motivation's there. It's because yeah. Florida's you dominated. You play nice now. It's because Florida has dominated the series. I'm just making a statement of fact. Yeah, but Florida's dominated this. They've won 20 of 25 in this series. Let's face it. They've dominated for a quarter century. Yes. You've now got a new coach who has a chance? I mean, this rivalry has been teetering on even for the last four years. Both of these teams have been struggling. Florida taking a downward turn recently. Tennessee trying to get back up. The last couple of years it didn't work out. But these last four games in this series have been neck and neck, and and Tennessee's only won one of them. You've got a new coach now trying to to instill a new culture, and and, and as he's said, teach your players how to win again. If you come in and win this first Florida game you suddenly could change the mindset, which we, and Wes, you've talked about this before. You always have thought Florida for years has had the mental edge in this game. If, uh, to me, it looks clear as day that they do. Yeah, and Tennessee, I think, has maybe cut into that at the very least, if not changed it by playing right with Florida the last four years. I don't think there's anyone in Tennessee's program that thinks they can't beat Florida because, A, most of the guys on this team, or a lot of them, have been here for when they yeah. won two years ago. And it affects then, the fan base a lot more than the yeah, players right now. Exactly. And then the others have at least played in games where they thought they should have won the last two times at Florida and then 2014 in Knoxville. So there, there's no longer a question of Florida being superior. It's just about winning it. And if you have a new coach that comes in and beats them in this first try, you can change the mindset of this of this rivalry entirely and maybe maybe tilt the thing in your favor for a few years. So that that's where I think this is a big game. I mean, fans need no motivation to to want to beat Florida anyway. But, but that's that's where it's big to me. It's a tone setter for the program, for the season, and it has the chance to give you just enough of a leg up on Florida that maybe it speeds up your rebuilding process a little bit. I think it does, potentially. And, and, and I, I think there are so many sort of interesting storylines about a, a team and a rivalry and a game that are maybe not to the outside world a huge deal but at the end of the day it's tennessee florida and they're gonna they're gonna want to beat each other mm-hmm. they're, they're gonna want to beat each other in terms of some news before we move on to, to recruiting because we got a bunch to get to um on that because it's a huge weekend for tennessee in that regard um and again if you want the uh if you want the best most up-to-date thorough wonderful information on that you're gonna have to pass cash dollars at goballs 247.com but we will give you i mean and we'll give you a little bit of that and, and the good news is that it's not that expensive. The bad news is you just missed a, a two-day deal we had. Great where, promo. Yeah. Where you could get uh, three months for the price of one. That's two months free for, for you math challenge people out there like me. That would have been three months of great, great, extensive, thorough Tennessee athletics coverage. Uh, three months of it for less than the price of a mediocre lunch. You could have done that. And, 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 and you've, you've missed the opportunity now. And, you know. Opportunity is nowhere. Opportunity is nowhere for you now. now it's not now here. It's nowhere. Now By the way, those doors, uh, we should mention, RIP to those doors. They're gone. They're gone. That part isn't, of the it facility, so, isn't it so sad? That they're, those are... they're, they're somewhere in a closet in a deep dungeon of the Tennessee football complex along with the orange dog. And the stool. Well, that part of the complex no longer and, exists. They've yeah. rebuilt that uh, area. Let's see what else. What are some other trinkets? I'm looking. I'm looking at Roger Frazier. Looking those at Max guys, Perot. Those guys, yeah. these guys know. Those guys know where all those things are. I'm looking at Hawks. Alan Sitzler. I'm looking at. I'm looking at. I think. I think somewhere. You they got keep, about a hundred. Yeah. 
of those 2015 or was it was it 2014 those adidas gray jerseys with the checkered shoulders that oh were just yeah hideous all oh, those that even rad. that even butch jones was like that's the gimmick i will not do those were sent to that overseas team right sorry i think there's something like israel or something yeah, yeah or maybe azerbaijan maybe azerbaijan <laughs> where arsenal's playing gonna play in the europa league pretty soon but yeah no i i what in in turn before we get into all that some of the interesting team nuggets specifically that we've picked up this week. I think there were a couple of interesting things. Uh, there was one position change that I don't know will have an immediate impact on the program, but one to keep an eye on down the road um, because this kid who moved Kingston Harris is someone who I like as a prospect. And, and I, I don't know if he'll be a D lineman or an O lineman in the long term. I'm not really sure yet. I don't think Tennessee is either. But he had been playing pretty well on the defensive line, getting some reps. But Tennessee's in a situation now where it needs it needs depth on the O-line, and now he's there. Yeah, that, that was um, maybe a little bit of a head-scratcher to some people because Kingston Harris played in the first two games this season. Out of all those freshmen on the defensive line, he played in the first two games, and it wasn't Greg Emerson, the, the highly ranked guy that came in. It wasn't uh, John Mincy who had gotten, gotten some hype. It was It was him. So to see him get that much early playing time and then move over to the offensive line two weeks later. It, it, it is interesting, but, uh, and Jeremy Pruitt admitted, you know, he, he had played well uh, on the defensive line. He just looked like the guy who had the best chance of making that transition and, and being able to, to help on the offensive line and, and get ready quickly. And yeah. He, yeah. Cause Mincy's not big enough. A lot yeah. of those other guys are, they're not big enough and, right and, now. And he is. And he made a good point too, that, you know, Tennessee did lose uh, what five linemen in a span of a couple weeks uh, last year. Linebackers. Linebackers. You too. said linemen. Oh yeah, but we're talking about offensive line. It's yeah, cool. yeah, it happens. Yeah. So, well, yeah, but but last year they had a lot of injuries on the offensive line and, too. And they were down to five. Yeah. Oh, you were talking. Uh, were you talking about Tennessee last year? Or yeah. You talking about okay. Well, I, I thought you might have been talking about Bama's linebackers. I, I, thought I think he, too. he was, but Tennessee had a similar situation yeah, no, last right. year okay. where they're down to five scholarship yeah. offensive linemen at the end of last but, season. But prove it for like every position change that they've done this offseason has been like, hey, last year we lost eighteen linebackers at once. Yes, and That's Alabama was still fine, by the way, because <laughs> uh, unlike Saban says, they do poop out just great players. Yes, after. But yeah, yeah. Oh, oh darn, we're gonna have to. Man, this guy was a this guy was like a mid range four star. What are we gonna do with this? But the, this 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 garbage that anybody else in America would have loved to have had. But this is about the depth beyond the top nine or so guys that they feel okay throwing into a game because you've got guys like Ollie Lane that aren't ready to play probably, and then you've got Tanner Antonuti who's not even been on the practice field lately dealing with an injury. So you've yeah. got some those third team guys that aren't there, and you kind of need another one, especially at guard. So it, it makes some sense when you think about it, but on the surface it looked kind of odd because. They, they still are looking for help on the defensive does, line. And they those, could some, move him back if they need to. They right? could. Some, some of those third-team guys, it's yeah. look good for them, to be honest. Let's uh, just be honest. I mean, if they're bringing in some guys that they hope to be bringing in. But the, the biggest question about this move to me is, is this going to be beyond this year? Because right. you look at Tennessee's defensive line, they're losing three seniors in uh, Shai Tuttle, Kyle Phillips, and Lex Johnson. Uh, and next year on the offensive line, they're bringing in Wanye Morris if they hold on to him. Uh, Darnell Wright, if they get him, mm-hmm. I mean those are your two five star tackles right there. So um, plus that, still, that plus would be that would be one heck have, of a haul. Plus would. they'll still have Trey Smith, Carvin. I mean you pretty much bring everybody back. You'll have Kennedy back too. So that that was the puzzling part of this move for me. Uh, is is beyond this season. But, still still need guards, but but no, yeah. you you still do need guards, and we've seen guys that have been moved from the defensive line that have had success in the offensive line, and we've seen guys that didn't move to the offensive line that. Should have moved to the offensive line. Cough, cough, Khalil McKenzie. <coughs> Khalil McKenzie. <laughs> there, there are, yeah, there, there's a reason this move could work out. But, yeah, that you always wonder about that. There are guys on the defensive line that can move to the offensive line and help you there. There aren't many guys that can make the opposite move, go from the offensive line to the defensive line. So, yeah, I wonder if, I mean, your depth on, on the D-line is not great either beyond the first four or five guys. So what do you they, do? They've been, they've stuck with seven. Yeah. Um, You're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. There's yeah. No, there's I, no doubt. They, they, um. Paul Bain and, and Emmett Gooden have been two consistent second-team guys. And that, to me, is what sh- has changed it. Paul Bain's been that guy. So TFL far. monster. And uh, in the first game, it was Kevon Bennett. He's disappeared. He, well, not not physically. He's still out there. But he's, <laughs> I think he's working outside linebacker now. Yeah. Um, but then their other that, – that third third guy on the second-team defensive line is, has either been Mincy or it's been Matthew Butler, who got rough in the passer penalty last week. So – um, Boy, Pruitt, that's, Pruitt looked that's, like he was going to just straight rip his face that's off. That's their seven on the defensive line right now. You can tell 
those those are the non scout team guys. Uh, and in, now with Kingston Harris's case, they're the non scout team, non guys that got moved. And it, was there something else? No, I was just gonna say. It. So it's it's an interesting. No, I'm done. no it, it is more about next year. And I I almost asked the follow up to, to Jeremy Pruitt. I mean, he he kind of left the door open for a future move back to the defensive line. Kind of made it sound like they're preparing yeah. for the rest of this season as much as anything. But you do wonder when you spend a year. Or, or most of a season working on a position like that, is it realistic to move back to defense? So it's what what they do beyond the next couple months will be fascinating with uh, with Kingston Harris now. Also looked like a, a couple of interesting news and nuggets this week. I, I'm not saying that it's definitely going to be this way, but there could be, uh, again, for the, I guess you would call it the third or fourth week in a row, might be some shuffling in the secondary again. It looks like they've been toying with different combinations back there and – you know, guys, I, I think Pruitt's pretty pretty set on this. He has said, point blank period, the guys who practiced the best that week are going to start that week. And, you know, is there any guarantee at all that we're going to see the same guys, the same combination that we saw start last week? Not not at all. And, and I think, uh, I th- you know, Alante Taylor's continued to play even though he's not been starting. So that it's important to keep that in mind. He's still been out there some. So they, they haven't gone away from him. It, it would never shock me week to week to see him go in and out of the lineup. You know, that he may be a guy that starts five or six games throughout the year, just depending on whether he... And still going to be a good player. Yeah, and just depending on whether he's played well that week or whatever the case might be. So And they, they might also feel they, they might have guys that match up better with certain receivers and teams they play than with others or you know whatever the game plan might be that week yeah. might favor a guy over another so that, that might be something to consider too Trayvon Flowers also is a guy we have almost forgotten about the last two weeks because he kind of quickly got shuffled out of the starting lineup Theo Jackson's yeah. played more but he didn't go away I mean they didn't just see him in that first game and say oh no let's go away from him I mean he's he's still gotten gotten work and the staff still likes him so he's just now looking like he might be at least in the mix for more playing time this week so we'll see how that goes but it they at least got options there and and even if they don't change up the lineup I, I think there's a good chance you see those guys play in this game yeah and we'll, we'll have to keep you know that's something we'll keep an eye on during the uh during pregame warm-ups on Saturday evening is, is how they look in the secondary but based on what we saw Wednesday it looks like Trayvon Flowers is going to be uh one of the safeties when they go to the nickel and the dime packages. Um, and Florida now, will have them in nickel yeah, quite a bit. They still. will. Um, Florida will do some, you know, three and four receiver stuff. So they'll, they'll be in that situation. But um, yeah, Flowers had a, had sort of a rough go of it against West Virginia, but who in the secondary didn't. Um, and, and this staff, I think they really love Flowers and they're not, they weren't discouraged by one game. Jeremy Pruitt um, saying he's got and, the best ball skills on the team is quite and, a compliment. Yeah, and, and and Pruitt's a guy that he wants his guys to have ball skills, and and he had an interesting answer and has has said a few times that you know he wants his defensive backs and defensive players to you know play offense in high school, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of them do because they're usually the best athletes on their teams, but guys that can you know know how to to play the ball and and, and you know things like that uh, on Friday nights can do it on Saturdays, but with, with Flowers, you think about it. He didn't play football from his eighth grade year to his senior year of high school. I mean, he was going to Kentucky to play baseball. Uh, and then he decides to come out his senior year of high school and play football and, and was good enough. And, I mean, his film, you can see easily why Tennessee wanted him and Clemson wanted him and, uh, and, and, and why a couple of a great defensive backs coach like Pruitt plus a program that's got it rolling like Clemson does wanted him. I mean, he's got some, some really natural ability, but – you throw him in from playing one year of high school ball to now you're playing West Virginia your first game. I mean, I don't, I don't know why anyone would have been surprised that he struggled a little bit, but I was more surprised to see him start the opener. Yeah. Frankly. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, he made a move. We, you know, we heard good things during the summer and he made a move during camp, but uh, now, you know, Theo Jackson got the chance the last couple of weeks and, and uh, Pruitt, Pruitt stuck to it. He yeah. said, whoever practices better is going to play. And so you can say, hey, how's this guy coming along? And Pruitt's answer is just like, well, he didn't practice great last week, so we started other guys. Not surprising <laughs> to me to hear that a, a guy who played baseball would have mm-hmm. really good ball skills. You think about the hand-eye coordination required to play that game. I Pruitt mean, has compared it to baseball. Yeah, I mean, um, that you track the Pruitt's ball, a you do guy, a lot of things. Kind of likes yeah, baseball. Yeah. He does. He likes baseball. He probably golf. likes the Braves. <laughs> Wouldn't I'm surprise sure he me. He probably hates the Cardinals and the Cubs. Who hates the Cubs? Well, one other thing on this playing the ball thing, though, it's a, it's an important note here. He was he made it clear Pruitt did this week that he was very disappointed that by his count the DBs met, missed I, I four three chances at interceptions. Uh, and Nigel Warrior obviously was the most glaring. The ball that one was going like, to come back. Yeah, but, but still, still you got to make the play. Yeah. Uh, coaches and don't forget that. Bryce Thompson had one go off his noggin. Yes, uh, and there was a play where I thought 
Sean Schamberger made actually a pretty good play on the he ball because he was about a half step behind, and he actually did a decent job to cut in front of the receiver. But Pruitt, during his coaching, so I was like, that's got to be an interception. Yeah. That's just kind of how he's operating and how he's Not everybody's Minka Fitzpatrick, though. That's true. But, <laughs> but I mean, that's what he's used to watching. Though, right. And that's the, that's the standard that he's going to hold this defense to. And, it's, and, and you know, you can't overhaul the talent level of a whole side of the ball in one year, but you can change the mentality of it. And yeah. I think that's something that Pruitt is, is trying to do. And it was, you know, I asked Darren Kirkland on Tuesday, like, you know, was Pruitt, like, okay with you guys pitched a shutout and only gave up seven first downs? Was he, like, actually happy about it? Or was he, like, mad about what y'all didn't do? And he was like, he wasn't necessarily, like – unhappy but he wasn't you know he was he was proud of us but then he was like yeah i mean we, we got to force turnovers that's one of our goals every game and if we don't do it um it's it's a failure so Pruitt's a rule 76 guy that's for sure yes i mean that's he he's going to demand the highest of the high because he's he's seen and he's coached the highest of the high at, at his previous stops well, on, what the I was, def- on the defensive side of the ball and what i was going to say is he he's while he's also happy with guys like trayvon flowers with their ball skills I mean, we saw this team not pick off many passes at all last year, and Nigel Warrior and, and those guys that are starters right now are, are among the players who've had that problem. His answer about that this week, though, makes you think he's of the belief that if you don't intercept passes much in high school and you don't do it much as a freshman or sophomore, you're not likely to start doing it as a junior or senior. So I thought that was a very interesting and telling answer about not only the way he's going to recruit defensive backs, but also what potential he sees, you know, people may be hoping the light will turn on for some of those older guys that haven't made big plays in the past. He seems to be of the belief that you're not likely to become an interceptions guy if you weren't one the last few years. So if Todd Kelly Jr. had been able to stay healthy and hadn't had some issues that he's he had in the offseason, yeah. he is a guy who has always been a ball hawk and been around mm-hmm. the ball and made plays. Meanwhile, Mike Abernathy and Bailey McCannon, two of this uh, of Tennessee fans' favorite punching bags. Yes, not so much. Yeah, if, not, we're doing a, so if we were doing a top five punching bags list, Buchanan and Abernathy on it. Drew Richmond would be number one this week. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Kongbo. I think deservedly so, but he. Yes. he Kongbo yeah. slid down the list. Um, Was that Drew Richmond's worst game? It, it, it had to be. I think so. It had to be. I mean, just, just I, I think at least maybe four penalties and got whiffed on a couple big third down blocks that he missed that turned into bad plays. Just just some but, some bad stuff there. But the, all those guys up front are making mistakes. And, oh, and that's they are. something else we should talk about, too, is it, is, it does not look like Tennessee's going to make any changes on the offensive line. Yeah, no, it doesn't. If they, if they are working different combinations, they didn't show us this week during practice. So The more um, interesting thing to me would be if they rotate this week. Because we they didn't really rotate much against Utah. Chance yeah. Hall didn't play last week, and that's that's telling to me. But we've seen him the, continue to get work at left tackle. You know, if Trey Smith struggles or if Drew Richmond struggles again, do you move Trey Smith and throw in Chance Hall somewhere? Big Nate Kneehouse. Yeah. West Virginia mm-hmm. superstar. Went out there, let it, let it, let a scoring drive. Yeah, yeah, I think the sixth guy last week was Riley Locklear, actually. Mm-hmm. So, um, back from the dead, Riley Locklear. Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson still hasn't been all that great at center. You know, Riley Locklear is the next in line there. Do they consider this, it? This offensive line is just so hard to figure out because yeah. they have. I mean, when they run left, they're clearly doing better than when they run right. When mm-hmm. they run behind Trey Smith, a caller on Vol calls pointed that out, and Jeremy Pruitt kind of shrugged that off. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they're having their best success when they do what uh, I think it's called a pin and pull, where yep. you have an outside guy pinned down, and then you pull a guard. Usually it's Johnson. Usually it's they work They work on that a lot. They do work on that a lot, and it's one of their bread and butter plays, and it's worked. You know, when they block it right, it works. But, I mean, you, you look at the UTEP game, their two sacks were both on the left side guys. I mean, Jameer Johnson yep. just got shucked out of the way by a, a rusher, and that was a sack. And then Trey Smith didn't pick up a guy blitzing around, and, and Pruitt talked about Trey this week saying, that physically he's hundred percent, which not only is, is was there the whole you know situation with his with his blood clots, but he also rolled his ankle pretty I think pretty good in the first game, um, and he was looked pretty ginger as he was trying to get it uh, back going on the sideline. Now he finished that game his play fine, but you still wonder if he's maybe a little yeah. slowed by that. Yeah, after everything but, he'd been through in the offseason, he but, was not going to leave that game. But unless the he had but to. the biggest thing that Pruitt said was that you know you miss an entire offseason, you miss us doing some really early prep work for some of these early games, and something else he talked about on uh, on ball calls on Wednesday night about how you do a lot of foundational stuff in terms of your preparation for these early season games because. Yeah. You don't have as much, you know, for, for the second half of the season, you've got the first half of the season worth of film to go over on your opponents. You don't have that a lot with the first three or four teams you play. So uh, they did some of that prep stuff in, in the spring and probably did it in the summer, probably did some in fall camp too, and, and Trey was not there for it. So there's a little bit of rust. He, he didn't call it rust, but um, that's basically what he was saying, that, you know, as he plays more and as he gets used to seeing more things, that he will get better. And, and we have to point out too that, that Trey Smith is still pretty new at left tackle, and he's – 
entirely new at left tackle in this scheme. Now, he played it three games last year, but that yep. was a different offense. Yep. So, um, Drastically different offense. He's a great player, and he's going to get better, and he's going to be himself at some point this season, you have to think. But right now, he's he's been rusty the first three weeks, and I don't think there's any way uh, around that. And But that's the whole thing about this offensive line is that when they do it right, they're successful, but then they have plays where – guys make mistakes and have penalties and get beat at the point of attack or miss blocks or miss assignments. And it's not just one guy. It's usually, yeah. uh, it's one guy here, one guy there, maybe, you know, a third guy on another place. So they just, uh, it's, it, they've got to work on the consistency and maybe they're trying to build some unity and, and, and familiarity. Familiarity, <laughs> like me trying to say communicative. Yeah. They're trying to build some of that up front by Ooh, uh, working these five guys. Uh, this is going to be, I guess, probably the third straight game if they don't make any changes. Yeah, Jeremy Pruitt mentioned that, too. When, when he's been asked about the offensive line, he's pointed out, hey, these guys haven't played long together. Yeah, I mean, Jameer Johnson was, you know, didn't come here the summer and didn't, you know, he missed basically the first week of camp because he was sick, I guess. They threw Johnson Carvin's in there toward the end of camp. Carvin, missed most, Carvin, Carvin missed most of the summer with foot injury, so. Yep. The, 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 so there's a, there's not a lot of yeah continuity there. You want to build that, uh, and and Trey Smith, you know that's that's a big key to me. Is he is he rusty? Is he not as good at left tackle? Is he dealing it's with a left ankle injury? All those are options, and which one it is, and whether he's better this week might play a big role in whether they win this game. Yeah, I think a couple more. Uh, if you want to look at some more potentially optimistic notes before we go on to recruiting is it, it looks like uh, he again he's not 100 percent, but Jawan Jennings is getting closer had yep. a touchdown catch against UTEP uh, also m- he missed a couple blocks but he also made some really nice blocks on the perimeter in that game so he is he's he's s- kind of slowly but surely kind of rounding I, himself back into form and I think maybe this opponent might get I, something I out might, of him I might I might go with the bold prediction this week of, of Juwan prompting a offsetting and sports mic penalty that would be a really good. Bold, that would be a really good and really really funny bold prediction. I, I think, think I might now, do that. Dibs. If, if, yeah, you got to lay down the marker on that. Dibs. that. Yeah, in our in our group in our group text. Dibsity uh, dibsity dibsity. That's in our in our group work text. Uh, you know, if you if you're going to write a story and you want to make sure no, no one else gets it, you got to yell dibs usually in all caps to make sure no one else takes this idea from you. So there's Pat's idea. On the other quick note, uh, we I'm surprised it took us 51 minutes to mention this, but. Uh, Ty Chandler came back and uh, looked really, really good against UTEP. Now yep. it's UTEP, so you're supposed to look good against UTEP. That's why you play UTEP, to, to feel better about yourself. But, I mean, speed is speed. And when you look at that 81-yard touchdown run that Chandler had, you saw at least two, if not three, definitely two guys at least, of their secondary guys try to do the pursuit drill, and they thought they had an angle on Chandler. And they were trying to, you know, one of them could have had him for about a 30 or 40-yard gain. The other one could have gotten him about 60 yards. But Chandler saw them out of the corner of his eye, found another gear, and just ran through the pursuit. Yep. And that guy, he may not be exactly the 100% match for what Pruitt and these guys want in their back, but he is maybe the most explosive player on that offense. And we've seen this in his career. When he gets opportunities – he tends to make plays. Mm-hmm. He's done this on special teams. He's done it catching the ball. He's done it running the ball. And if Tennessee is going to have some nice wins this season, if Tennessee's going to exceed expectations, they're going to need Chandler making big plays because he gives them a component. They've got a, they've got four pretty good running backs, I yeah. think. But he gives them a component that nobody else does. And, and they know that. I think what we weren't sure about going into the season, you know, we, a lot of talk out there about – Tim Jordan maybe being the starter to open the season, it was Chandler that got the first snap against West Virginia. True. And and he goes back in the lineup this past week and he's the starter again. I mean, so. I'm a big buff hamster guy, but yeah. still like but but Chandler is and, is, and Jordan, is, is dynamic. Jordan to me hasn't been quite as effective the last two games too. Uh, we'll, we'll see if he bounces back, but I thought I thought Madre London actually ran better than him against UTEP. I thought yeah. London had his best game. He's a I mature agree. runner with the patience, yeah. you can see it. He, shows, he, he sees holes. I don't, I don't like to agree with Ryan, but I do That's agree fair. in this case. But but Chandler no doubt uh, it, you had a feeling it would be a different guy. You know, week one it was Tim Jordan. Week two it was Jeremy Banks. Like, whose turn is it this week? It was definitely Ty Chandler's, and he made that pretty obvious. But, yeah, the, the key, they just got to find one of those three or four guys that they play this week. And, and does does Jeremy Banks or London or someone get shuffled out of the rotation this week for the most part? You know, that, I think you're going to play all four, but do all four guys get carries in SEC play now? That's going to be interesting to watch how they manage that group. But whoever it is, you know, can one of those guys, at least out of the three or four they play, 
you know, fi- be firing on all cylinders in that particular game. If you can I, find one that's working, that's, that's if all I'm, you need. If I'm Tennessee's coaches, I want, and, and Ty Chandler's healthy, the bare minimum of touches he should get in a game is a dozen. That's like the bare minimum. He has got – if I if you got 60, 70 plays in a ball game, I think you want Ty Chandler touching they're, the ball 15 running, times. They're running barely about 60 right now. You yeah. need you need a home home run threat, and he gives you that. Yep. So, in, in, in terms of who might be the odd man out, just going into this, it's – if I'm Tennessee Staff, Jeremy Banks is fumbling. Yes. Would, he's, supposed ball be, security. he's supposed to be the goal line guy because he's such that's, a good battering ram. That's the yeah. first way to get that, yourself that out of there. That would be a concern for me, which means that he's yep. going to go out there and run for a buck ten but, on Saturday But night. you're right. With this staff and with any staff, the first way to get yourself out of a rotation at running back is to fumble. It, and that Chandler touchdown run was a perfect example of the offensive line because they blocked that play perfectly. Like yep. tight ends, left side of the line. Austin Pope has done a really nice job blocking uh this season i know wes is proud uh, of, of the fullback being successful it's, I'm at, it, it's I, time it, you know it just i think my you're, other, you're gonna get me emotional i think my other bold prediction this week might be that they finally throw the, throw the ball to the fullback I, I feel like there's things that we haven't seen tennessee do a backside whole lot. play action they haven't thrown to the route, fullback they fullback. haven't i think i was looking this up i think their receivers and or their tight ends or running backs only have like eight catches all season half of those are dominic wood anderson so are they going to get those guys more involved in the pass game um, I think what Anderson will be or should be more involved op- because Pruitt, I mean, because uh, he's really good. We saw it last week. They got him into the first play of the game. And, so, Garantano throws the ball better over the middle than does anywhere he does. else. And, and that's where those seam routes to Wood Anderson could be big. And, and Wood Anderson, I think, to his credit, has done a better job blocking the last couple games than he has mm-hmm. against I agree with that. West Virginia. But now we got to see if he can do it against ACC guys. So, um, but yeah, Ryan's telling us to hurry up. Well, I just wanted us to. He really wants to talk recruiting right now. <laughs> no, it wasn't so much that. No, it, it's it's. We do need to discuss this before we get out of here. It's when you look at Tennessee's schedule this season. Of course, you know you got you know Alabama. You you got some you got some big games, and mm-hmm. but if you're trying to make a statement and you want to kind of be have the chance to beat a big name opponent, get kids excited. This very clearly to me looked like the one that you would sharpie. You would circle it ten times. This yeah. is the game, and it looks like Tennessee is doing that this weekend. Yeah, it, it, you, it's always a big visit weekend for the Florida game. This week, uh, the, the thing we didn't know about this was it's Jeremy Pruitt and his staff, their first chance to really put on a big show and try to get in as many big names as they can. And they have pretty good reach for, with their connections from previous stops and things like that. Can you get a guy on campus, even if he's committed to another school or something like that, just because, hey, we got a marquee game, come on up and have a, have a fun time, you know, is this going to be an even bigger weekend than we're used to seeing for the Florida game? And there, there's a chance it is. I mean, we've already seen a, a handful of five stars on, on the potential visit list right now. And uh, I'll just hit the high points because that's really all we have time for because there's so many guys coming in. But a few official visitors, uh, Trey Knox, the four-star receiver from Murfreesboro, uh, that's a big one because he's announcing his decision on October 1st as of right now. And it's, it's Arkansas, Tennessee, and Florida. With Arkansas, Probably still being the favorite, but I think there's more optimism now on on Tennessee's end. That Boy, if they they're were, they're stinky bad right now. Yeah, and that's a, that's a concern um, for Arkansas for sure. But he's always liked Ark or for the past several months he's liked Arkansas. So we'll see if Tennessee can continue to push the momentum its way this weekend. But that's that's a big visit for Trey Knox. Maybe his last visit before his decision. Uh, Chaffrey Brown, four-star wide receiver from Charlotte, he's coming back. His third visit to Tennessee this year. This is an official visit, so that's uh, obviously an important one. And then a committed guy, four-star Michigan running back commitment, Eric Gray from Memphis. And we've we've mentioned this one a, a few times in our in our Go Vols 24-7 recruiting chats. If Memphis. You've been, if you've been paying attention. You know, people kept asking about what running backs in this class. He's one that I thought they were keeping a close eye on. They've obviously done that, and, and they've kept uh, an open line of communication. He's kept an open door uh, to Ole Miss, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi State, some other teams he's still looking at closer to home in the SEC and I think Tennessee's always intrigued him, so that's definitely one to watch, too, being an official visit. And then the unofficial visitors, you start with maybe Tennessee's three biggest fish on the entire board. Darnell Wright, the five-star tackle from Huntington, West Virginia, coming back in town this weekend on an unofficial, which means you get an official visit later, most likely in December or January. I wonder if Locklear knows him pretty well. Uh, I mean, Huntington's not I would a, say they know Huntington's each other. Huntington's not a, not, a, not a big place. They definitely know each other because, um, yeah, his, his – um, Locklear was teammates uh, with a guy that's that, that definitely knows right uh, playing gotcha. in a crosstown rival. So yeah, I, I would say they do. And then um, and on top of that, five star athlete Quavaris Crouch yep. um, that, from Charlotte also expected back in as of right now. We'll see if that 
if that changes, but he's, he's been expected in. And then Chris Bogle, uh, the top 100 defensive end linebacker from South Florida, has been to Tennessee three times this year, already used his official visit, um, but supposedly he and his mother, and that's a big step if she does come back, supposedly she is coming back in with him this weekend. If all that happens, uh, just those six or seven guys we've r- r- rattled off so far, that alone makes it a big weekend. But on top of that, uh, some other 2019 targets, some guys committed to other schools. There's talk of Owen Papo, the five-star Auburn linebacker commitment, coming back with Wanye Morris. Yeah, hadn't that teammate. been like a coin flip right now if that Yeah, it's, it's sort of up in the air, so we'll see if he makes it in. But it, it, there was talk of him being an official visit. Looks like it's going to be an unofficial if he does make it in, but that's a possibility. Uh, Maurice Hampton, the Memphis, uh, Memphis native LSU commitment, uh, hasn't been to Tennessee before, finally might make it in this weekend, but he's said that before, so we'll see if it happens. And then a ton of guys in the 2020 class. I say it all the time. It's an underlooked aspect of this, uh, an overlooked aspect of these types of games where next year you're going to see a lot of guys Tennessee's recruiting that this is the first time they made it to Tennessee and they saw them for a huge game. The 2020 guys that are, that are at this game, yeah. could, could this could have the, a lasting impact on some of these guys that you're just maybe – an offer for them right now and in a couple you know a few months you might be high on their list because you really impressed them at this game so look for a bunch of big time 2020 players at this game but obviously a huge recruiting weekend and we'll have it uh, all covered for young go balls 24 7 that was that was impressive patrick do you have anything to add to that uh, the memphis i heard the word memphis come up a couple times yeah yeah uh, eric gray is he's He's legit. I know our, our couple of our, our national analysts really really like him. Three 200-yard um, games in four games. One of them against Whitehaven, who typically has some of the best talent in, in the uh, in the Memphis area. No doubt. Which, as we all know, the Memphis area has the best talent in the state. Um, I mean, I think that might be debatable. And, but. and Gray is um, – I don't think there's any debate. Uh, <laughs> Gray, we have Gray. Our, 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 in the 24-7 sports ranking, he's – He's a top 100 guy, and I think the mm-hmm. number two player in the state. Yeah, behind I think that's right, behind Maurice Hampton. Who's also been balling out down there for, there for me, or maybe so. th- or maybe three behind Hampton and Bill Norton, but he's up there, top three for sure. I was looking the other day, and I think it was two, but yeah. I might have, it might have changed. I he, could be wrong. He, too. No, he's a, he's up there for Bill sure. Bill Norton, just what a great name! It's like a NASCAR driver. He's, yeah. he's he seems pretty locked in the. I'm door, Bill Norton Jr. Well, it's William, and then his Twitter yeah. handle's Big Willie, so he goes by a few different <laughs> names. But um, I think Bill. I'm be like, I'm, I'm gonna call you Bill. He's yeah. like, actually, I'm William. No, I'm just, I'm gonna call you Bill. That's what but he wants to go by. Just like I, just, just like, just, just like yeah. I thought, Josh Dobbs should have gone by Bob Dobbs because, <laughs> because his first name was Robert. Actually, yeah, he could have gone by, could have gone by Bob Dobbs. It was a missed opportunity there. Speaking of uh, some from some Tennessee athletes, before we get out of here, I uh, do need to give a shout out to Admiral Schofield uh, and the VFL film crew for a really hype videos or hype videos. Listen, they're all fun, but that one was one of the better ones I've seen. The VFL films crew very impressive continues to. Uh, set the bar. It's like uh, what is it that some of those uh, HBCUs used to say? Like uh, we don't, we may not win the game, but we never lose halftime. That's right. Uh, Tennessee never ever loses the video race ever. That's the, those guys, Barry Link. Those guys, they're they're the best. One final thought before we get out. I can't believe we almost got out of a podcast without mentioning his name, but I think this is a game Jarrett Garantano might have to win. I think we talked about Felipe Franks. Yeah. I, I think Garantano has been one of the best things about this offense, but he hasn't thrown it much. If it's a close game, we're going to learn something about Jer- about Jared Garantano one way or the other. And it's can he can he settle down? Can his offensive line help him enough? And can he make some big throws in a tight game to to pull out a win? It's a big opportunity for him because I mean, you look at it. There's not a lot of guys that have that have beaten Florida. I mean, the, list the ones of, who the, do. List, the list of quarterbacks that have beaten Florida since you know since they started playing it more regularly. Uh, it's not very long. It's his so. first chance at him, and yeah, yeah. His, his chance to make himself sort of a a, a well-regarded quarterback in Tennessee history by beating Florida. Yeah, because we know he's an emotional guy. We know he's a guy who, you know, if he's in a good mood or if he's in a bad mood, you can see it usually. He he's just one of those guys who kind of wears it on his sleeve, and and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. But uh, we we're gonna see just how well he can execute some some late game situations, perhaps. Uh, where you know would he be able to handle let's say a four-minute offense if they've got the lead I mean there are things about him that we don't know that we're going to find out soon because this is where you see intangibles when you see these close games I think I think Ryan's exactly right this is where we're going to see some of those things what did you just say I think Ryan is exactly right Wow. I give credit where it's due he's just almost never exactly right but that time he was I think that's fair I think that's pretty fair I feel weird right now why don't you make fun of somebody this will probably be you. Will it? Why would you do that to me? I don't know. I, I won't. That's fair. 
that dragged on for just a little bit because I couldn't find the right button to hit to go back to the uh, bumper music. Working on that. Hosting these things while trying to operate a board. I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm not smart enough to... I should still be in Velcro shoes is what I'm trying to say. Guys, thanks for tuning in. If you missed the basketball podcast about the Josiah James five-star commitment, you can go back and get that one. Uh, It's the one before this. Uh, Or if you just want to go to the site because you think, man, these guys have sexy voices and they're smart. How can I get their information all the time? You can go to GoBalls247.com. Subscribe there. We have good stuff for freebies and the better stuff, much better stuff for the VIP members. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash GoBalls247. You can find us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash GoBalls247. I'm on Twitter there at WestRucker247. Patrick Brown's on Twitter at PBrown247. Ryan Callahan's on Twitter at RyanCallahan247. And Grant Ramey is on Twitter at Grant Ramey. Doesn't have 24-7 in his name because he's kind of, uh, I don't know. He's kind of selfish like that. Do you think so, Patrick? I will not slander a former employee, a, a, a fellow. <laughs> uh, breaking news, Grant Ramey just got fired. Patrick uh, Brown just fired uh, Grant Ramey on the podcast. Fellow employee. And on that note, Pat, you got any final thoughts? No.